Welcome to Exploring Axon, a podcast where we discuss Axon Framework, Axon Server, and their ecosystem. I am your host and the producer of this podcast, Sarah Tori. In this episode, I spoke with my guest, Frédéric Bouvet, a software engineer who has been working with uh, CQRS, DDD, and event sourcing patterns for the better part of his career as a software developer. He told me about his experience of learning these patterns and using them uh, with Axon Framework and later on in Axon Server, but also his experience of working with a team who did not have the knowledge of these patterns or the stack. And we talked about how that knowledge sharing and learning curve was like for him and his team. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Fred and let's have a listen. Hi, Fred. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk to you about some really um, interesting and informative um, stuff that we talked a little bit about uh, in the past, and we decided to come together and do a recording. So I'm really excited to share that with everybody. Uh, Before we get to the topic, can you introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about where you are located in the world and a little bit about your background? Hi, Sarah. Um, I, I'm Frédéric Bouvet. I, I live in uh, Paris uh, and uh, I am software engineer since uh, 12, 12 years ago. Uh, and it's, uh, it's very nice to, to talk to you. Yeah. Awesome. I'm really excited. So um, you said you've been working as a software engineer for the past 12 years. And I know for uh, the majority of this, you've been working with... Uh, uh, some as uh, some would call it modern systems and uh, modern applications. So that's really, uh, really exciting to hear about your experience since you were introduced to some of these patterns that we're going to talk about a little bit early on uh, to see how your um, experience evolved during these past 12 years and what got you interested in some of these patterns. So Tell me a little bit about the project that you're working on um, at the moment, though. Uh, let's discuss that a little bit. Is it a monolith? Is it an old system? Um, or is it a system of microservices? Can you give me a little bit of background on that? Here, uh, uh, yeah, um, I work uh, at Slimpay. It's a, it's a payment company. I'm in charge of uh, migrating a monolith to a CQRS a microservice uh, architecture with event sourcing. Uh, this monolith is uh, very old, over uh, 10 years old, uh, and the code is in spaghetti. Uh, the main idea is uh, we identify the different business domain for each of them. We're going to isolate it and take it out uh, within a microservice. The monolith will uh, gradually be reduced. Uh, it's a monolith throttling strategy. Ah, gotcha. Okay. I love that, uh, the, the spaghetti. It's a spaghetti mass, and I, I'm, I'm sure that's everybody's favorite, right? <laughs> <laughs> to have a spaghetti mess of a code. So you did mention a couple of things that I want to go a little bit deeper into. You did mention CQRS and event sourcing and microservices. So let's let's talk a little bit about those. Um, how did you come to know about um, CQRS to begin with? And um, I know we talked a little bit about domain-driven design as well. So tell me a little bit about how you got to um, know about these patterns. What, uh, how was your introduction to them? Uh, I worked at uh, Viedeo 11 years ago, mm. and uh, we used the uh, Axon framework uh, 
I learned uh, the concept of CQRS at that time uh, when I was a young developer. It was a great experience for me because uh, I was uh, very young and uh, it, it, it was uh, very, uh, very interesting. Uh, at the time, Axon Server didn't yet exist uh, mm -hmm. and we weren't uh, using event sourcing. Yeah, gotcha. So that's really interesting because you you mentioned a few minutes ago that uh, you've been working as a software engineer for the past 12 years and 11 out of those 12 years, you've been working with CQRS and uh, an Axon framework for that matter, which um, at that time was a very young, uh, Axon framework was very young as well. Um, <laughs> so you kind of <laughs> grew up together, which is great. Um, and, th and that's really interesting. And Something that you mentioned, you worked as a young developer, and that was really cool to work with uh, this framework and learn about CQRS early on. And um, I noticed that uh, we we did a few talks uh, la in last year and this year with um, some universities, and we had some university uh, students around some of the talks that um, I was also uh, participating or involved in. And it's fascinating to see the young developers just grasp these uh, patterns and this information so quickly because you're kind of like a sponge when you're younger and you, you're so interested in learning more about these things. So that's really cool that you came to know about these patterns at a, at a young age. I know that it's a little bit harder for uh, some of the seasoned engineers to be introduced to these things because you need to have a sort of a change of mindset. Uh, so that's really cool that you, um, you were introduced to them early on. So now, did you, uh, and you also mentioned with the Axon Framework, so did you learn uh, CQRS through working with Axon Framework specifically? Uh, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> the framework provides the technical building blocks and make uh, the developer's life easier. Mm -hmm. uh, by learning how it works, uh, you understand the concept. It's much, uh, it's much easier than starting out uh, with, no with nothing. Gotcha. Uh, so it's kind of like having a blueprint a little bit, if you would, of something that you you can structure based on that and, and learn things a little bit yes. easier. Yeah, that's that's neat. Very cool. Um, so what did you what what kind of um, examples maybe or uh, ways you found these patterns interesting and what, you know, what got you interested in these patterns that you felt like, oh, this is really cool and it's, it works well? I think CQRS, uh, it's uh, the, the most uh, interesting patterns uh, for for many uh, companies because mm -hmm. uh, it comes from a need uh, for, for performance in both reading and writing. Uh, there are many, uh, there are very different reading and writing needs. Uh, when you have a single model, you can't optimize it uh, for both reading and writing. If you optimize for reading, you lose out on uh, writing performance. For example, if you take a relational database like uh, MySQL and you add an index, uh, reading will be faster, but writing will be slower. And uh, if you optimize the model for writing, it won't be optimal for reading. CQRS uh, separates uh, the write and the read model, uh, so you can optimize both. Mm. The disadvantage uh, is that uh, you end up with an eventually consistent reading model. It's difficult uh, for developers who aren't familiar with this concept, but uh, they have to remember not to make business decisions based on the read model. In other words, uh, no reading before writing, no query before a command. Uh, at Slimpay, developers are used to doing CRUD in GPA. Uh, they read an entity, set field, 
and update it. Uh, one of the, mo uh, the most difficulties here is to ensure that they can learn and understand the concept because it's a different approach from what they're used to. And that's an important one because a lot of times that's one of the main things that are discussed and kind of go back to that mindset that I was talking about. You just have to change that mindset a little bit. And there is a learning curve involved in that. Yes. So how did you with that learning? How did you deal with that learning curve? And how did you convince them to use these methods and ensure that these are actually beneficial ways of doing things? Um, moving to a microservice architecture has many advantages, maintainability, code flexibility, height availability. But uh, at Slimpay, it's the scalability uh, that was uh, decisive for, for Slimpay. Mm. Uh, they realized that uh, part of uh, the monolith could fall uh, in the load if the load increased. So they were convinced uh, when I proposed a gradual migration without having to interrupt uh, the product uh, roadmap. Oh, that's really great. And, and I like to highlight that word gradual because it is important to kind of go step by step and, and take things uh, bit by bit. And I think I would imagine it's also easier on the team to be convinced and also learn at the same time if you're going step by step as opposed to just grabbing a big chunk of the monolith and just bring it out and say, hey, there it, there it is. <laughs> Work with it, right? <laughs> it's, it's less scary. So... You also did talk about event sourcing uh, for your use case specifically. Why did you use event sourcing? Uh, because at the time when, when you started working with Axon Framework, Axon Server wasn't there. So um, you weren't really using that event sourcing, but later on you decided to. And what kind of value did it provide to you for your use case specifically? Yes, it's a... Uh... It's possible to, to do CQRS without event sourcing, but event sourcing uh, is very relevant for a payment institution because uh, you have the whole history uh, by design. Mm -hmm. uh, the event store becomes a source of truth, both uh, for the application and for a human being who wants to do an audit. Mm -hmm. uh, it's very easy to design a new reading model according to needs. The new model will project all the events, and uh, if it takes a little time, uh, it will be up to date and usable without uh, having to deal with data migration and synchronization issue. Uh, this provides great uh, flexibility. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, especially for payment um, or financial institutions, that that log is very important because you yes. have to know exactly every single transaction. Uh, to come to the basic state that you're in right now. And you want to be able to go back in history and check to make sure that everything's in order. Um, and the, the synchronization is also important because uh, it, it you mentioned a little bit earlier that uh, when things are a little bit asynchronous, there's also a little bit of fear there, but they will eventually synchronize that. Um, and so you, you don't have to worry about that, uh, which is also very powerful. So, in your system, then how did you define uh, the domain? Because we, we did talk a little bit about domain-driven design um, and uh, context in our previous conversation. So there is always this question of what if the domain is too big or how do I even define what my domain looks like? And then within that domain, how do I define um, the bounded context within it? So how was that experience for you? Um... 
you have to know the job well and it's uh, it's easy to break it down vaguely there are contracts uh, direct db you can feel uh, that these are different business domain I, I think the difficulty here is uh, within the boundary uh, we haven't found a magic uh, recipe but we try to minimize the uh, coupling in order to have a minimum of data to transfer from one domain to another. At Simpez, the functionality of the first domain to migrate uh, was poorly mastered. It required a lot of reverse engineering and uh, we redesigned the monolith uh, as uh, we had uh, through of it uh, in DDD from the start, a sort mm. of uh, reverse DDD. Ah, okay, great. So you had to kind of work your <laughs> way backwards a little bit here, right? <laughs> Yeah, which is so th there are some really important things you mentioned. One was knowing the business well and knowing the business requirements well. And I love that um, in the conversation you constantly refer back to business, right? Because these are business needs that we need to we need to take care of. So knowing that domain of the business is important. And you're right, the boundaries for the bounded context are really tricky. I in fact had a conversation with someone just a couple of days ago about um how do you define those bounded contexts? What do they even mean? Um, and sometimes it's difficult because a lot of times uh, those contexts overlap in some ways with each other, right? Yes. They're not always clear cut and some portions do have to overlap because of the business needs, right? Um, so it is it is tough to, to go back and really define what is the boundary for each context. Um, but once you get that magic recipe. I'm going to steal your words there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> then you're in a sweet spot and that takes time. And I think that's something it's, it's important for um, someone who's just going through the, these patterns and learning about them and trying to uh, implement them within their systems to, to really know and make peace with the fact that it's going to take some time and you do have to change things as you go. And that's okay. Right. That's uh, that's fine. It's a it's an ongoing process. It never ends, does it? Yes, <laughs> exactly. So going back to the old system that you had um, that was a monolith and you decided to take bits uh, apart from that monolith to make it into um, microservices. How did you start moving those parts out of the old system? Um, monolith for clean is difficult uh, to achieve on a monolith uh, that is not modular. Uh, the code is strongly coupled and uh, the first step is to isolate uh, the domain to be excited. Uh, first, we identify the table that belongs to the domain to output. They are mapped uh, to GPA's entities. Uh, it is necessary to break the external reference to these entities and replace them with the primary key. Uh, the main idea is to be able to delete the entities and table from the domain at the end of the process. Uh, once uh, the reference of, of, to the entities are deleted, uh, we must make an inventory of the SQL uh, queries, which use join on this table with table outside the domain. Uh, this uh, join must be undone when possible. In case uh, where uh, this is impossible, it may be necessary to denormalize a field from the domain into an outside uh, table with uh, update process if necessary. And uh, after isolating this database access layer, uh, we isolate uh, the business code part. 
to do this, uh, we take a Java interface uh, design in CQRS and we re-implement uh, the domain under this interface so that the rest of the monolith communicate only through this interface to access the business domain. And the same Java interface is then used uh, to develop the microservice uh, in V2 and uh, a switch mechanism uh, which will be used uh, for the data synchronization stage. Mm -hmm. I really like that uh, that process you just explained because you are starting by taking the, the tables first and foremost out and denormalizing those tables. Because as you mentioned, when everything is coupled together, it's hard to separate them. And if the mon monolith was not modularized to begin with, then I, I, I now fully understand your spaghetti mess of a problem you had because <laughs> everything is really talking to each other. You can't separate yes. them, right? And so I really like that uh, that approach that you took that to maybe first delete those uh, the entities and the tables from the domain uh, at that, or rather separate the tables and then uh, delete the entities and the table from the domain at the end of the process. When you have that um, that denormalized the data and the separation of those tables and uh, and and using uh, that basically one interface that communicates between the monolith and your uh, now modularized system that's that's really important very nice very um very good i, I like how you put that very step by step and it's very clear to understand <laughs> excellent so then going back to um the learning curve right because <laughs> we first talked about the, how the learning curve was for the for these patterns and uh the architectural concepts how was then this learning curve? Because I know you were very familiar with the Axonic stack, especially the framework, because yes. um, you started working with it very early on and you kind of went through all of its changes and versions and so on. But how was it for the team? How did you kind of help them learn about the patterns, but also about the stack? Uh, in a company that has never done CQRS and event sourcing or even microservices, uh, some developers are a little uh, overwhelmed because uh, they are these are different ways of coding and modeling than uh, what uh, they are used to. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. In my migration team, uh, the increase in skill uh, happened uh, happen, uh, quickly. Uh, for other team, it is more complicated. Uh, I think uh, this is more an organizational problem than a technical one. Mm. Uh, we need to increase good sharing practice, such as pair, program, pair programming and uh, code reviews. But uh, this is valid for uh, any new framework or technology. And uh, regarding Axon framework, uh, it's very easy to use uh, once uh, you know the concept. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. And, and I do like that you mentioned the knowledge sharing. Um, I actually had a conversation with a guest last year, um, or maybe it was earlier this year, uh, that... It, their platform was all about knowledge sharing and how do you help the team members to really get a hang of something new that they're doing. Um, and we, we saw that um, in one of our teams when uh, we decided to start using Kotlin for parts of the, um, the application and not everybody was familiar with it. So we started doing pair programming and, you know, at the beginning, of course, it's, it's a bit slow, right? It takes a little bit of time, but once you get a hang of it, then it goes a lot faster. So I, I really love that um, you 
mention that point because it is so important to hold hands with the rest of the team if you would like, right? <laughs> um, and and walk together and help them improve as they go. It's always important to make sure you have that safety and making sure that everybody in the t- team knows this is a safe space. We'll work together to to learn the new concepts and that helps everybody uh, to, to be more open to it, I think, right? That's important. So then what were some of the benefits that you started to notice shortly after moving the parts out of the system into microservices? And in addition to that, how did the development monitoring and you know, most importantly, the delivery and the deployment changed after you moved into um, using microservices as opposed to the monolith? Uh, we are still in the process of migrating, uh, so we don't yet have the expected uh, scalability benefits. Mm-hmm. But uh, we are already seeing better fluidity in production, launch, and uh, development uh, cycles. Mm-hmm. Uh, in terms of uh, maintainability, uh, it is much easier uh, to have 100% test coverage on a small microservice uh, managed by a small team. Yeah, that absolutely makes sense. And I think with... Um... Something that you mentioned with the um, so you're not fully in production, so you you haven't seen all of the uh, all of the benefits that it can it can provide. But as far as the um, the fluidity in production and launches and development cycles, it, it you're right because when you're dealing with a smaller system, you don't have to worry about all the moving parts, right? You just have to worry about that one system. And one thing that um, it's important also with with regards to deployment is you can deploy each microservice by itself. You don't have to deploy everything together. And yes. that's something that um, I hear a lot as a, as a benefit because you just deploy as needed, right? If you're updating something in one of the services, you just deploy it. You don't have to worry about everything else. Whereas with the mono, uh, monolith, you do have to really make sure that all of your, your ducks are in a row, so to speak, before you start deploying. And one thing that... Somebody mentioned to me just a, a short while ago is that they're, they're, they were using a system that needed at least two weeks before they could deploy because it was a big monolith. Everything had to be yeah. uh, in order. Tests had to be run and make sure everything passed and then they could deploy. Whereas once they started using the microservices and using more modularized systems, uh, they noticed that the, the deployments are almost instantaneous. Because you don't have to wait. The tests are passing a lot quicker. Systems are smaller, so you can um, do as needed. So going back a little bit to some of these benefits, did you notice any costs that were reduced by moving into microservices? Uh, concerning cost, we gain uh, in maintainability and therefore in development cost. Mm-hmm. But it's difficult to evaluate. Yeah, sure. Uh, yeah. There are additional infrastructure cost, infrastructure cost, mm-hmm, uh, yeah. because uh, each microservice uh, has a separate uh, database for its query model, mm-hmm. and each microservice is deployed in three instances. Mm-hmm. On the other hand, uh, we have gained uh, in height, availability, and resilience. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very satisfying to turn off a database and see uh, that the microservice continue to run in bright. Yeah. And, <laughs> and that uh, when the database come back, uh, it update. Uh, yeah, that is definitely satisfying. Very nice. Uh, <laughs> of course. So in terms of the cost then, 
uh, when we're looking at maybe the bills that, that arrive by using various services, you may see a higher cost at the beginning. Initial, initially, you may see higher costs because, yes. yeah, you are using more services and databases and so on. But when you're looking at the cost of um, your de de uh, developers, that, that cost may go down because you need, uh, for instance, less developers who know everything in the system, right? They can just work on smaller uh, systems and then um, you may need two developers to develop a whole system as opposed to 20 of them, right? And on top of that, you're seeing results a lot faster. So if you have a product that um, has to do with um, more frequent updates and upgrades and things like that, you can get those out into production a lot faster and you you can do so do those updates and upgrades a lot more frequently. So you may see um, some benefits added there. So yeah, it's, it, it's, it's a tough question. It's tough to gauge that all the time. Right. <laughs> but that, that satisfaction at the end, it just, I feel like that just is so wonderful and it's such a value to a lot of developers that it's like, yeah, that just for that, it's, it's worth it for sure. Yes. Wonderful. Um, yeah, this is really, really amazing. And um, your experience in the more over the decade that you've worked both with the framework and also in these patterns is is really fantastic to see and um, that you're sharing it with new team members and new teams and so on. That's really wonderful. And I really appreciate you sharing that. And I appreciate you uh, giving us a breakdown of the steps even that you've taken to go from a monolith into a microservices. So really appreciate the the knowledge sharing here on, on our end as well. I know you're moving to some other exciting adventures next year. So I really wish you the best and I can't wait to come back and uh, have another sit down with you Thank and you. talk more about some of your new findings. Really looking forward to that. Um, anything else you'd like to add, Fred? Or No, just thank you. It was very nice to, to speak to you. Of course. Yes. Same for you. It was a pleasure. Thank you again for sharing that. And uh, I hope we talk again soon. Have a great day. I hope you benefited from my talk with Fred. Please join me next time when I speak with other amazing guests with wonderful topics. Until then, have a great time and happy coding.